Well, I am thankful that I have been to the cross. If I got that on, Jay? Okay, good. I enjoyed that. And I agree with Brother Greg. We are, I love all kinds of music. I do. I like to tap my toes and lift my hands. And But uh, there's something about the hymns that have been passed down generation after generation. Uh, the truth is our, our the church has been built on those hymns. And uh, I thought about when he's singing at the cross there. It was written by Isaac Watts in the 1700s. And he was a young man, and he complained to his father one day, who was a minister, that uh, the real formal songs there in England at the time, that uh, they were boring and formal. And his father just casually said, we'll do something about it. And he did. And Isaac Watts gave us so many of those hymns. Uh, he's buried in Bunhill Fields. There's a nonconformist cemetery there in London, not too far from Wesley's Chapel on Old Street. And when you go into the entrance there, I, I think your pastor's been there. Uh, one of the first graves you'll come to on your left is Isaac Watts. And uh, the few times that I have been there, I've always just stood and and just stood there and just thought about being at the cross and and his wondrous love and all of the great things we're marching to Zion and all of those great hymns that he has given to us. And uh, they are part of us. And God forbid that we ever get away from them. And uh, they we are built on those. And uh, I tell the Indians all the time, we'll do a couple little courses and things, but we always sing the hymns. And I've taught them these old hymns. And I will always give the history behind the hymn and tell them about it. And uh, I'll remind them, like their language, they're quickly losing their language. And I say, just like you are losing your language, and uh, you're only a generation away where you lose your language. And uh, I said, the church is the same way. We're just a generation away of losing uh, the things that have brought us to this generation. And uh, we don't want to lose them there. But it's good to be back at Charity Baptist. It's, it's such a joy to be here. And I appreciate you more than you would ever know. And I know you pray for us. And I've said this before. Maybe I've said it here. But uh, one of the things, missions has, has introduced us to so many things in our life that I didn't know in pastoring. And pastoring in the Chattanooga area for so many years. But one of the things that I have experienced over these years uh, serving in missions and being on the reservation, there were days that there would come to me a great sense that somebody somewhere was calling my name out to God. And I knew that. And uh, I know you folks pray for me. I started a few years ago getting a text every Sunday morning from a lady. And I... I did not know her. I thought, well, maybe this is somewhere, somebody that was in a service where I was at when I was on deputation or whatever. But every Sunday morning without fail, uh, for a number of years, about 9, about 8.30 every Sunday morning, I'll get a text saying, Brother Ken, Miss Sherry, I am praying for you today. And uh, I get, was getting those texts, and I, 
Uh, I see her on Facebook. She has, there's no picture on her profile. There's nothing on her profile. She's just on Facebook, and that's where she learned about us. But uh, she, texts me, she texts me every Sunday morning. And so one day I just text her, and I said, uh, I'm not sure. I said, have we ever met? And I said, uh, maybe we met somewhere, and I just don't remember and uh, she texts me back and says, no, I've never met you. I met you on Facebook. And she told me a bit, of, of course, in the course of texting, uh, she told me that her husband was bedridden. And uh, she sits beside his bed and takes care of him every day. And as she sits there, she prays for people. And uh, so every Sunday morning without fail, I get a text from a Rachel Magnum. It says, Pastor Ken or Brother Ken, Miss Sherry, we are praying for you today. And I know I can see her in my mind sitting beside her husband uh, in his bed. And she's no doubt got a copy of God's Word in her hands and she's lifting us up in prayer. And we know there are people like that everywhere. And I know that Charity Baptist, I know you pray for us and I appreciate it. You've been a blessing to us in so many ways. I could never thank you enough, and if I fail to do so, uh, it's not my intention. I could never thank you for all that you have done, so many things you've done for us, not only coming out to help us serve, uh, but things you've done. Uh, Brother Greg asked how our system was doing. You put a, a sound system in. When we first started, had that old PV soundboard, and a couple old speakers had been given to me, and and so I'd have to walk over here and adjust this button. I'd have to do this, but put that digital system in. I've got it all in front of me there, and uh, it's just been a blessing. And you've done so much, and uh, thank you for being a part of what God is doing there on the reservation. This has been perhaps the hardest year that personally we've ever had and uh, just so many things. It began with the winter storm that we had last year. Uh, we've had some storms, but uh, God forbid we have another like we had last year. It was awful. It, it, I shudder. I wake up with nightmares thinking about that. In fact, we had a team coming from charity that's supposed to be with us, and uh, but that storm come in and... Uh, uh, there wasn't any way you could have got there. But the most amazing thing happened in that storm. Uh, and I know back a few months ago, you uh, a couple years ago, you knew about, uh, for some reason, the, we were experiencing for the first time, not just us, but any kind of mission work or any kind of church on the reservation, we were experiencing hostility on the, from the tribal, not from the people, but from the tribal leaders and the tribal council. And uh, we, none of us knew where it was really coming from, what it was rooted in. Uh, there was somebody that had come on the reservation that I do not know, I've never met them, and, and uh, had passed out some literature that had got them upset. And so in a tribal council meeting, they actually voted to shut down immediately churches, any kind of mission work whatsoever. And that was on a Wednesday. And someone called me and uh, said, are you listening to the tribal council meeting? I said, no. And they said, you need to listen. And I turned it on, and it just, it just took us by surprise. It caught us off guard. 
and they were shutting everything down and the, and the people started calling Pastor Ken what are we going to do Pastor Ken what are we going to do I said well, well we're really just trying to figure it out and I put it on Facebook and <clears throat> and I knew people all over the country prayed for us on that Wednesday night and I'm sure you did and uh, because I had messages all through the night all the next day Pastor Ken we prayed for you our church prayed for you tonight the most amazing thing happened they came back the next day in a very quiet way uh, voted to rescind that resolution and uh, so we've gone on just like nothing ever happened so we really don't know what happened but one of the tribal leaders there is a very he's always been very hostile to uh, churches and I've actually heard him in meetings make the statement he said I'm for going in and taking away their buildings and using them for ourselves he just he just don't like churches but back last fall right before that storm came is a gentleman uh, Steve down in Nebraska he's right on the Nebraska Kansas line and God brought him into our life several years ago and he's been an amazing blessing to us and uh, during the COVID thing, when they shut us down, <clears throat> he bought about 20 hogs and slaughtered them for us and uh, processed them and uh, would bring us up uh, so many pounds of meat every so many weeks. And, and so during the COVID, when everything was completely locked down, we were carrying meat out. They considered that taking food to people essential. So w that was the way we stayed in contact with people all during that uh, COVID stage, and uh, but he called me one day and he said, uh, "Could you use a load of wood?" And I said, "I I get calls every winter. So many of the people still use wood to heat their house." And he said, "Could you use a load of wood?" And I said, "I get calls, but I just never have any. So I'm gonna bring you up a load of wood." Well, I'm thinking a pickup or you know a trailer or something like that. Bring it up. He said, I'll be up there on Saturday. He pulled in in a tractor and trailer, a 53-foot trailer. And the first thing that went through my mind is, oh, no, Sherry's going to have to unload this trailer. I thought, this is going to be awful. I couldn't help but think, oh, Lord, I've got to unload this thing. But thankfully, it had one of those walking floors on it, so it just dumped it out of the back end. But when he pulled off that day, I had wood from here to the back of the building piled up. And I thought to myself, what in the world am I going to do with all this wood? I mean, I'm thinking, uh, you know, three or four cords of wood, not a tractor and trailer load of wood. But I just stood there looking at it, and I thought, I'll have wood stacked up here till Jesus comes and whatever. But that was like in the last of October, when we got hit with that storm in December of last year, uh, it, it shut everything down. It shut everything down. Uh, the National Guard had to come in, and when the storm was over with, they brought the National Guard in to dig out the roads to get to the elders so they could get them to their dialysis and things like that. Uh, it, it, it was just a, a, a terrible storm. But... There was nobody could get on the reservation, nobody could get out, and there was no wood to be found anywhere on the reservation. Uh, they were not prepared for it, and so here's all these people that need wood, and there is no wood. They started calling me from all over the reservation, district leaders. I understand you have wood. 
I said, I do. They said, can we have some? So they started coming in. The Wounded Knee District, someone asked me about Wounded Knee not too long ago, uh, a little while ago back in the fellowship hall. The Wounded Knee District called and said, I understand you have wood, can we come? And this is the district of this tribal leader that has been so hostile to everything. And we sent loads and loads of wood to the Wounded Knee District. And uh, they called me one day and, and said, can we come and get another load of wood? I said, yes, you can. We, we were the only ones anywhere on the road. Re- you couldn't get wood to the reservation because the roads were closed. And it was just You couldn't get down in the river bottoms and cut wood because the snow was so deep. I mean, it was just, it, it was just uh, a condition. And, but there we, we were with all that wood. And uh, so they called and said they were coming after another load. And I went out there, and, uh, and there was a bunch of men they had was loading an old flatbed trailer. And not one of them had a, uh, anything on their head. It was about 20, 25 below zero that day. And I said, fellas, do you not have a cap or anything? And they said, uh, no. I, and, and somebody had sent us a whole box of Carhartt, these real nice wool stocking caps. We called them boggins in North Carolina, but out there they call them stocking caps. I said, let me go get you something. And so I went out and got them all a good pair of gloves and got them all a stocking cap put on their head because uh, I thought that these men will get frostbit out here. But I noticed one man sitting in the trunk, truck, and uh, he got out, and I thought to myself, that is that tribal leader. And I walked over to him. I said, what is your name? <laughs> and he told me his first name. He wasn't going to tell me his last name. And I said, what is your last name? And he finally told me, and I said, you're on the tribal council, aren't you? And he said, I am. And uh, I said, I've never had a chance to meet you. And I took him by the hand, shook his hand. And, uh, and he said, well, I, he said, it's nice to meet you. And he said, thank you for what you're doing. And I looked at him and I said, uh, and I called him by name. And I said, I know you don't care about churches here on the reservation. And uh, is that my phone? I thought it was mine. And uh, I have my alarm set. I have medicine I have to take so I had it set <clears throat> and I uh, thought it was mine and, uh, and I said but we're not here I said we're here for the people we're, he always said they're here getting rich off of the people and whatever I said we're not here to take from the people we are here for the people and he said I know that and he shook my hand three or four times that day and he looked at me and he said there's nobody else got any wood here and I said we care about the people and he said I know that and he said, I'm not against every church, but I, he said, I know both things you do that, uh, he said, I don't have any problem with you. And, and he left that day. I couldn't help but thank God. I had no idea when all that would come in, how God would use that to give us favor. And when there was no one else there during that storm, God had given it to us, and we sent wood all over the reservation and won favor with our enemies through that very thing. And uh, it just, it amazes me every time I think about it, how God orchestrates things and how he does things. And uh, 
But it has been a hard year for us for several things. We got the storm in December, then we got hit with the storm in July. Uh, I was the only one there that day, and we had about a two-mile swath come from. You folks here, you live in Tornado Alley. Uh, we, we don't. We have tornadoes south of us in Nebraska. Well, we had what they call it. It wasn't a tornado, but they call it a direco, which is basically a tornado without any kind of rotation. But it hammered us that day. It's only the grace of God that it didn't take our buildings down. If it had been rotation in it, uh, it would have. And the dorm that some of you stayed in there, uh, it busted the windows out, and, and it pulled those metal posts up out of the concrete. And uh, it's, it's a wonder it hadn't taken them down. And, and uh, the auditorium had that ceiling in there, and those metal buildings are built uh, we built that building and designed it with a 120-mile-an-hour wind, but they're built to move. But uh, uh, it, it snapped. The wires hang in our drop ceiling, grid ceiling down, and uh, it was down. And, and the house, we got windows. It was, one of, it, was just, it was only the grace of God. If it had rotation, uh, it would have taken our buildings down. Right in that stretch, we had 24 power poles come down main lines it, it was just a horrible storm with the flooding that came and the, uh, all of that after that and then other things physical issues we've had this year it's been been the hardest year we've had but it has been by far the best year we have had and it has been amazing what God has done and the growth that we're seeing in the people that is so encouraging and uh, and people getting saved and uh, I think a few weeks ago, um, a lady by the name of Marla uh, got saved. And I met her. I was over in what they call um, the Cherry Hill section. I visit every Saturday. And I saw her down there. Uh, there's a wall. I went around a little Ken, a little fellow named Ken. His first name is Ken. And I go by and see him. He's in his 80s. And he gets on the bus every week and comes. And... Uh, uh, got him coming about a year ago, about two years ago. and uh, But I saw her down off this. There's a wall that drops off in a little apartment down there. And I saw her down there, and I just hollered at her. And she she must have thought I worked for the tribe some way. And she asked me a question about the trash. I said, I don't know anything about that. But I talked to her for a little while. But that's the way when I meet somebody like that, that when, when that door is open, uh, I go through it full speed. And I, I went back every Saturday. I started going by every Saturday and seeing Marla. And uh, she, she thanked me. She said, nobody ever comes and sees me. And uh, so it thrilled her. Every time I'd knock on the door and open the door, her face would just light up and she'd come out and talk to me. But couldn't get her to come to church. So finally, one Saturday, I said, I want you to come to church tomorrow. That's what I do. I go by. How you been doing? How's your week been? Everybody been doing well? And she said, doing fine. Just talk to them and just spend a few minutes with them. And people know if you care about them. And uh, just ask about them, find out how they're doing. But I said, Marla, I want you to come to church tomorrow. And she said, well, it wouldn't hurt. And I said, okay. And so she came and she kept coming. A few weeks ago, she got saved, and it was so precious. She's sitting out on the front row crying like a baby. And my wife had the Bible out showing her how to be saved, and you can see the tear stains on the pages of her Bible as she wept. 
It's been a good year, and we thank God for it. And that's usually how it goes. And the Lord always, in our darkest times, he always blesses. And so we're thankful for what he's done. And you are a part of it, and we appreciate it so much. So it's such a joy to be back with you. It's great to have my grandson Tyler with us. We don't get to see each other often, but he came down tonight, and we're so glad to have him with us. And appreciate Tyler and thank God for what he's done in his life. Good to see Dr. Barnett tonight. He finally paid me the money he's owed me for about five years, and I appreciate him. Finally got it back tonight. I loaned him some money one time, and I hadn't charged him interest. That's, that's grace. You better be thankful for that. I'm just glad to get my money back. Amen. But no. And for all of you, it's, it's such a joy. I appreciate your pastor so much. And uh, always a joy when he calls and, and to fellowship with him. And, and often I've called him at times just to open my heart. And I appreciate him so much. But it's a joy to be here. Good crowd tonight. And we're looking forward to what the Lord will do over the next three nights. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 13. And I want to just read to you a couple of verses, and then I'm going to hit some highlights in this chapter. I've been going through the book of Mark now for about two and a half years. I have found, I don't care whether you're in Pontotoc, Mississippi, or an Indian reservation, the Word of God still works. And if you just preach the Word of God, and for years as a pastor in Chattanooga, I went through a book of the Bible. I was going through one book on Sunday morning. I was going through a book on Wednesday, Sunday night. I went through a book on Wednesday night. I do the same thing on the reservation. And I have found it works. You just preach the Bible. God takes His Word and uses it. And... Uh, the book of Mark I've been going through with the Indians, and they absolutely have just been enthralled. They stay with me. But for the past few weeks, we've been in Mark 13. Actually, yesterday was the fourth Sunday in Mark 13. <clears throat> it's a chapter about future events and the Lord's return. It really has a natural outline as I look at it, and this is one of the most debatable chapters in all the Bible. Its sister is, sisters are Mark or Matthew 24 and Luke 21. And those are chapters that if you had three preachers sitting down together at the table talking about the chapter, uh, everyone I would have a different view as, as what it is saying. And I found that with my commentaries. I'll have my commentaries stacked on either side. And every author I read has a different opinion of it. But to me, I just I try to find what it speaks to my heart about and try to see it. And I see a natural division of the chapter. It's like the Jesus is describing things that lead up to the tribulation period. He describes the abomination of desolation, which is in the middle of the tribulation. And then he has, when every eye shall see him coming back in power and glory, that is at the end of the tribulation. But there is a practical side to everything Jesus shared. 
you understand that prophecy has a practical side to it. What happens in the future is to impact us at this very moment. What will happen is to have an impact on us at this very moment. And so in the midst of all the things that Jesus describes about the future, he gives us some very practical instructions. And those are the things I'm going to point out tonight. But I want us to stand as we honor the reading of his word. And I'm going to read just verse 3 and 4. And then we'll skip through the chapter and look at, at the practical things that I want us to see tonight. Verse 3 is he set upon the Mount of Olives. This is Wednesday afternoon in the final week of our Lord's life. It's been a busy day of teaching in the temple. Dusk is sitting upon Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples are walking outside the outer court and walking outside the temple. They've made their way down the Kidron Valley, and now they're on the opposite side on the Mount of Olives. And verse 3 said, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, opposite of the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be? Jesus had just told them that the temple was going to be destroyed. You have to imagine to a Jewish mind how that must have shook them to the core. Their temple was going to be destroyed. What a magnificent structure it was. Josephus describes how if you were a traveler entering in Jerusalem, those huge white marble stones weighing tons apiece, that white marble, he said, it looked like a snow-capped mountain in the, difference, in the distance. The sheets of gold on the side of Herod's temple, at certain times of the day, the sun would hit it just in the right way, and it would blind you. And you would have to shield your eyes from the brightness of the gold on the temple. A magnificent structure. But Jesus told them it's going to be destroyed. And they asked the question, tell us when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all of these things shall be fulfilled? Matthew said, they said, what shall be the sign of thy coming? Thank you, you may be seated. Our Father, in Jesus' name, we've gathered here tonight to be reminded of our need to reach a world with the gospel. I ask you now that you might take us over these few hours, these services, and deposit within our hearts something that will impact eternity. Let us, Lord, do more than assemble for a few services. Let us, Lord, meet with you. I am mindful of how you appeared to Abraham. And how that moment, that one moment of meeting with God, Abraham's whole life was changed. 
appear to us, meet with us, and stir us about the need. Thank you so much for this body of believers, the part they have played in our lives, both as a church and individuals here, that have enabled us to reach the native people of Pine Ridge with the gospel. Speak to our hearts now in these moments, in Jesus' name, amen. The Bible has a lot to say about the future. It allows us to know what the future holds. It allows us to know how things are going to unfold. You could say that the Bible is tomorrow's newspaper. If you want to look into the future and know what is going to happen, you need do nothing but just open this sacred book. And it will tell you exactly what is going to happen with absolute accuracy. And Jesus, in response to the question by Peter, James, and John, or Andrew, when shall these things be? Lord, tell us, when is this going to happen? What is the sign of thy coming? Because them being told that the temple was going to be destroyed, to them signaled the end of the world. It meant this was the moment the Lord would come back and establish his kingdom upon the earth. What they didn't realize at that time was there were two comings of our Lord to the earth. There was that first coming when he came in the bands of infancy, born in a lowly manger. But there is another time he's going to come back this earth, not wrapped in swaddling bands of infancy, but in the tapestry of heaven's majesty. He'll come back again in power and in glory. They didn't understand that. But the Lord began to answer their question and give them a, a direction, and give them an understanding of what was going to happen in the future. As I said a moment ago, prophecy always has a practical side. The future always, or it should, have an influence on the present. There's a matter of how we live tonight in light of the future. So I'm not going to walk through these prophetic statements of our Lord, but I am going to draw your attention to the practical things that he gave as he talked about the future. I find it ironic tonight as we think about the Lord's come, of the things that are happening in the world tonight. I'll just say this. I'll not get into prophecy. But we are nearing the Lord's return. He said He will come, and you can mark it down. He will come. And we may not know the day nor the hour, but we can know the season. And we are living in that hour, I believe, and I am convinced as ever before, that whatever we have to do, we must do quickly. Because our Lord is soon to come. Do not think it accidental, the things that are happening in the Middle East tonight. It's like God had a great picture and he cut it up in pieces like a puzzle. And in our own generation, we have seen pieces of that puzzle being put together. And the picture is becoming clearer and clearer and clearer. We are nearing the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
And when I think of his return, I join with John. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. But until he comes, how as a believer are we to live? Let me draw your attention to just three simple things. One, Jesus talked about the matter of living in light of the future. He spoke about the matter of carefulness. I want you to notice down in verse Five. Notice what Jesus said in verse 5. Jesus answering them began to say, take heed. Notice down in verse 9. But take heed to yourselves. In verse 23, Jesus once again said, take heed. And then one more time in verse 33, he said, take ye heed. Now the idea of the word heed there is of being aware, beware, or being aware. It is being on guard. It is being watchful, watching out. It has the idea of carefulness. Our Lord is telling the disciples now, in light of the things that are going to happen, this is one thing that I ask of you. Be careful. Take heed. You go back in verse 5. One of the things that he emphasized is take heed lest any man deceive you. That word deceive there has the ideal of Something causing you to wonder. It has the ideal of being led astray. And what our Lord was saying is, in light of what is going to happen, you take heed. You be careful. Don't let anything lead you astray. Don't let anything or anyone cause you to wander from God. I don't think we would like to admit it, but the truth is, if we were honest tonight, there is a tendency in all of our hearts to wonder, is there not? I love that beloved hymn by Robert Robinson, who pastored in St. Andrews in Cambridge many, many years ago. And I never sing the song that there's several statements there that grip my heart, but there's a couple of statements that he made And I've often wondered, and I've never found anything written about what prompted the statements that he made, but maybe they were a a, a personal confession on his part. I have no idea. Certainly it was a moment of transparency and openness on his part. But I never read them or sing them that they don't grip my heart. And it's those lines, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I don't think any of us can find criticism in those words. Uh, I don't think any of us can question the truth of that words, of those words. Are we not prone to wonder? I don't care who you are. Are we not prone to leave the God we love? We have experienced His saving grace and we love Him. But yet we must confess that we are prone to wonder. And we are prone to leave the God we love. It is to our shame. But do we not allow our hearts to become cold? And our affections for heavenly things to cool? 
Are there not days that we allow to pass without spending time in His presence or feeding our needy souls from His Word? We may blush to admit it tonight, but there are days when we're more concerned with the things of this life than we are with the one who gave us life. We are prone to wonder. But Jesus said, as we near the coming of the Lord, be careful. He's calling for faithfulness on our part. And I submit unto you, there's never been a time when the need is greater for us as believers to be faithful to God, to love God, to be faithful to His work, to be faithful to His will, to be faithful to His word. There is a tendency, and if we're not careful, we can be led astray. We can wonder, but yet our Lord says, I want you to be careful. 1 John 2 verse 28 speaks about faithfulness in the light of our Lord's return. You know it. Now little children abide in Him. Abide. Abide in Him, He said. Be faithful. Don't let anything break your fellowship with God. Abide. Live in the presence of God. Be faithful to God. Don't let anything break your fellowship. Abide in Him. Why do we abide? That when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Can you imagine that moment when we will see Him first time, face to face, the one who has saved us by His grace? Can you imagine that moment? But think of that. There was a day when we were poor lost sinners who found mercy when we cried out to Him for salvation. He did not turn us away as if He had no room or did not love us, but He showed us the abundance of His grace and love by welcoming us into His glorious family, adopting us as His children, and given us the privilege of calling Him Father. Imagine meeting Him for the first time, but yet you've lived so little for Him. You took living for God so lightly. You never he had time for everything else. But you had no time for Him. So much was given to other things in life. My earthly possessions. But so little was given for eternal causes. So little time was spent with Him. He had given everything for us. But then we had given him so little. Can you imagine that moment? How embarrassed, how ashamed when we see him and the fullness of what he has done for us overwhelms our soul. And to realize that I did not give my best and I did not live for him. Oh, how embarrassing it would be. Jesus said, Take heed. Be careful. Don't let anything cause you to stray. Don't let anything cause you to wonder. Carefulness. But notice something else. Notice in verse 33. There is another statement that he uses on a practical side. Not only take heed. Be careful. Be faithful. In these days as we near the coming of the Lord... 
there's ever been a time to be faithful to the house of God, to live for God, to serve God, it's in light of the nearness of His return. But in verse 33, he uses the word watch. Verse 35, watch ye therefore. Verse 37, and what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Not only does he speak about carefulness, but he speaks about watchfulness. In light of the Lord's return, we are to be watching, and we are to be waiting. We are to be looking, and we're to be longing. He admonished us, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter talked about looking for and hasting under the coming day of God. Dr. Horatius Bonar, as he drew the curtains at night and retired to rest, he used to repeat to himself the words, almost as if a prayer, but certainly with expectancy, perhaps tonight, Lord. And in the morning as he awoke and looked out at the dawn of a new day, he'd look up to the sky and say, perhaps today, Lord. He looked and expected the Lord to come at any moment. D.L. Moody said, I never preach a sermon without thinking that possibly the Lord may come before I preach another. G. Campbell Morgan said, I never begin my work in the morning without thinking that may he may interrupt my work and begin his own. And he added, I'm not looking for death. I'm looking for him. You see, as believers, we should live each day with the constant anticipation, this could be the day. The watchword of every believer ought to be perhaps today. If not today, tomorrow. But knowing that our Lord is coming again, when the disciples said, What shall be the sign of His coming? He talked about all the things to indicate, to encourage them to be looking and watching for the Lord to come again. Oh, I know there are the scoffers. Peter spoke of them. Those who said, Where is the promise of His coming? Like someone might say, I was a little boy and I remember the old preacher's Preaching about Jesus coming. That's 50 years ago. Nothing's changed, preacher. He he still hasn't come. Well, where's the promise of his coming? Listen, you mark it down. Again, I know not the day. I know not the hour. But I know this. As certain as my name is Ken Trivet, he will come again. And we never doubt the sureness of His return. And I believe we're living in days we should not doubt the nearness of His return. I once heard someone say, we're so near the Lord's return, I'm no longer looking for signs. I'm listening for the shout. He will come again. It may be at morn, the hymn said, when the day is awakening. When sunlight through darkness and shadow is breaking, that Jesus will come in the fullness of glory to receive from the world His own. Morning or night, He will come again. And Jesus said, watch for my coming. We want to be careful. Don't let anything lead you astray. Don't anything let you wonder from God. Not only carefulness, but watchfulness living every day. Looking to the skies. It may be today, Lord. It may be tomorrow. But believing and watching. And again, I believe that there's ever been a generation 
that ought to be watching, it is ours. But there's a third thing there, and this is really the heart of everything that I'll say tonight. He speaks to us about carefulness. He speaks to us about watchfulness. But look back in verse 10. My opinion of Mark 13, he's describing things that lead up to the tribulation period. And then in verse 10, he describes the passion that he has for this age in which we live in. As we come to that moment when our Lord will come. As we come to that moment when he will take his children out of this world. And usher in his, un, his wrath upon a God-forsaking world. The tribulation is not just a hard time. Understand that. Saints have always gone through tribulation. But the tribulation is more than trials and testing. It is the wrath of God without mixture poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world. And he reason, and as he speaks of all these things, the birth pains he calls and the beginning of sorrows. That word sorrows is birth pain, a lady in labor, contractions. And he describes earthquakes and all these things. You said they've always been earthquakes. That's true. But what Jesus described is it'll be like contractions six minutes apart, five minutes apart, four minutes apart. They'll get closer and closer and more and more and more severe with more regularity. When these things begin to happen with such intensification, look up for your redemption drawing nigh. But then in verse 10, he makes this statement. And the gospel must first. It's like our Lord is saying, when all these things that are to come, first of all, before any of this, the gospel must be published among all nations. As the Lord Jesus spoke of his, of his return, he expressed his great desire for this age. The passion of a God that sits in heaven tonight is that men might come to know Him. That men might be saved. Peter said the Lord is not slack concerning His promises as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. I believe the reason, the only reason our Lord hasn't come is that He's long-suffering to us and giving this generation every chance they can. He often compared, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And I think of the days of Noah. You not recognize the name Methuselah. The oldest man that ever lived. You ever wondered why he lived longer than anyone else? His very name means when I'm gone, it shall come. And Methuselah, it's my belief that the day Methuselah died, little raindrops could be heard pattering upon the ark. He lived longer than anybody because God is not long, God is long suffering. Not that any man should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He lives and God is waiting for men. He looks down on a lost world. That needs to be saved. And his plan for this age is that the gospel be published and be proclaimed to all nations. The psalmist said, His eyes 
Behold the nations. He said that thy way might be known upon the earth. And thy saving health among all nations. Was it not Jeremiah that said, blow the trumpet among the nations. The arms of the cross reach out to every nation, to every people, and to every person. To more than 8 billion people living on this earth. The arms of the cross reach out to them. And the call of a heart of God is still, come unto me. And God wants to save souls. That is the great passion of the heart of God tonight. That he loves people that are lost. But that raises a question. How is this gospel published? How is this gospel carried to the nations of the world? It is through those that know him. I am a believer. I am to live my life that others become believers. I am a Christian, but I am to give myself without reservation that somebody else might become a Christian. I have been saved, and I am to live that others might be saved. I love that promise in Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that promise is so precious to me. On a Sunday morning in 1972 as a 16-year-old teenager, I walked down the aisle and I knelt. And the preacher knelt beside me and I was just weeping. I had seen myself lost that Sunday morning. I was a church member. I'd been baptized when I was about nine. And I grew up in a church, in and out of church. But that Sunday morning, for the first time in my life, I knew I was lost. And when the invitation was given, I ran to the altar. And the preacher knelt down beside me. And he prayed with me. And when he got through praying, he said, Do you know God saved you? I said, I think so. He said, I don't want you thinking so. I want you to know so. And he opened the Bible to Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. He said, I want you to read your name in there. And I began to read, for if Ken shall call. And that was as far as I got. I just broke down and said, thank you, Jesus. And thank God, if you come to Him, He will not cast you out. What a promise that is, that we'll call upon Him, He'll save us. But verse 14 said, He said, anybody that'll call, He'll save. But how then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Somebody has to tell them. Somebody has to go. Somebody has to give so that others can go. The great heart of God. Our God in heaven that so loved this world. What a little word that is. But oh, I think we miss it so much. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God loves sinners. God loves sinners tonight. 
He loves dirty, vile, corrupt, hell-bound sinners so much that He gave His Son to die on Calvary's cross and through His death by their redemption that they might come unto Him. He loves a lost world. He loves every race. He loves those Indians out on Pine Ridge. And it's been such a joy over the years. Most of them didn't know a thing. You and I, we know it all. We grew up in churches. We know the Bible verses. We know the songs. We know the jargon. Uh, we know it all. But I, you're talking about a people, for the majority of them, they never heard it. The only religion they'd ever heard was maybe a priest and some kind of formality and some kind of ceremony. But to hear of the redemptive work of Christ on the cross, that's news to them. And it's like they're sitting there bug-eyed. They've never heard anything like it in their life. But yet just tell them of God's love and how it resonates with a heart that has nobody to love them and how it resonates with souls that nobody cares about. To hear there is somebody in heaven that loves you so much that he would give his son. Oh, to see that darkness broken through with the glorious light of the gospel and see that heart broken down like an old shotgun and come running and leaving behind traditions and falling on their knees in an altar and putting their faith in Christ. There is nothing like the gospel of Jesus Christ. But how does it get to people? It comes through the giving of the gospel by you and me. There is not only Jesus said, In light of my return, be careful. In light of my return, be watchful. But in light of my return, be useful or be fruitful. I think of that old song, Lord. Lay some soul upon my heart. And love that soul through me. That I may bravely do my part. To win that soul for thee. Pardon a personal illustration. But laying that soul and love that soul through me. I listen on the reservation. That's all I know to do. Is love them. And love them and care for them. I think of the day I found old Sam laying in the weeds. And when I saw him over there in the weeds, I thought he was dead. And I ran over to him and realized he was just passed out, stone drunk. Laying there, probably been laying in the field all night. I got him some help and I said, who is that? And somebody told me his name. I said, where does he live? One of the dangers I have on the reservation is becoming used to what I deal with every day. I mean, living among the poverty, getting used to seeing the poverty, getting used to the problems, getting used to the conditions, living in it every day. If I'm not careful, I become conditioned to it. And I become numb to it. But somewhere... God always breaks my heart. I said, where does he live? And I stood there that day and I thought, Lord, how do we reach these people? What, we, what, what can we do? 
And I said, God, help me to reach this man. And I went to his home. Saturday after Saturday after Saturday, snow, rain, whatever. Saturday after Saturday for three years until the first time Sam got on that bus and came to church. Oh, Sam got saved. He's very quiet. And but oh, he'll come out of the door on Sunday morning. He's got the first Bible I gave him about six years ago. He comes out of that door, that Bible under his arm. And he gets on the bus. Hey, brother Ken. I said, hey, Sam, how are you doing? But I tell you, sometimes, every Sunday, when I, pull, I turn the bus around his driveway. And when I pull down in there, he comes out that Bible. My heart, it just leaps. And I say, thank God. Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. And may I bravely do my part to win that soul to thee. To win that soul for thee, my Lord, will be my constant prayer. That when I've won my full reward, I'll with that dear one share. Some soul for thee, some soul for thee. This is my earnest plea. Help me each day on life's highway to win some soul for thee. Missions is all about people. The gospel's all about people. It's, it's the ministry's all about people. It's not about our degrees. You can have a PhD and be as dumb spiritually as a box of rocks. Do you understand that? It's not about the spotlight. I think Facebook, I love Facebook, but I think it has inflated some egos with unfounded with an unfound with a foundation that is not there. Oh, it's not about what people think about you. It's about people. And Jesus gave himself for people. And we are to live for people. We are to give so people can come to know Christ. That is what missions is all about. That's why you support missionaries. That's why this pastor encourages you to give. And that's why many of you, you sacrificially give every year. You take money that you could have used for something else and you give it to missions. And you do without some things that you could have had because, the re because of your giving. It's all about getting people to Christ. In light of our Lord's return, we are to live with an urgency to get people to Christ Now's not the time to cut missions. Now's not the time to cease giving. Now's not the time to become complacent. Oh, listen, we get so tired. There are days, this year mentioned, been a hard year physically. I've been healthy all of my life. I've never had issues of health in my life. Uh, I mean, I've, I've, I've gone wide open. 120 mile an hour all of my life. It's all I've ever known. I got sick back in February. I don't know what it was. But I have never been as sick in my life. And it put me down. And I got worse and worse and worse. 
I pushed myself for months, struggling to catch my breath. I would work as a, I'd drive the bus, I'd do this, and I'd come home on Sunday evening, and I barely could get in the door, and I'd just fall on the couch and collapse for hours. But I went on and pushed myself, and struggling to breathe. And, and I finally, Sherry said, you need to go to the doctor. I finally broke down and went to the doctor. I, I've been to the doctor more this year than I have in my whole life. But I went to the doctor, and God gave me a good doctor. And I went to him, I said, I've never been sick in my life. I said, but Dr. McLean, something is wrong. I know something is wrong. I said, I'm not just, I said, I go all the time. I can't go anymore. I can't breathe anymore. What is going on? And they put me through a barrage of tests and poked holes in me. And, and I did every kind of test in the world and finally found out that my lungs were filled with blood clots. And I remember the day I had the CT scan and he come back in and he said, this explains everything. And so... They started all this regiment and whatever. He said, this explains everything. And thank God I'm feeling better. I'm slowly getting my energy back. But there were days that I think to myself, I can't do this. Days I, I, could, I push myself. But then I'd think a face had come to my mind of somebody that had come to Christ. And I thought, there's nobody here. Nobody to come here. Lord, I can't leave these people. And we pushed on and pushed on and pushed on. And thankfully, I believe we're getting better. I am. I feel like I'm getting better. And all but still have issues. But we push on. Why? We're too near the crown to lay down the cross. I want to die on the battlefield. I don't want to be sitting in a recliner somewhere at ease in Zion. We're too near the return of our Lord to think about giving up. There are people that need to be reached. The gospel must be published to the nations of the world. That's what missions is about. Press on. Press on. You thought, well, maybe we'll cut back this year. No, we're too near the coming of the Lord to think about cutting back. Oh, I'm going to slow down this year, Brother Ken. No, 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 no. We're too near the coming of the Lord to think about slowing down now. If ever our all belonged to Him, it, it must be now. Our Lord is coming. And let's continue trying to reach others for Christ. I stand to our feet, please. Thank you for listening. Our heads about our eyes are closed. He said, be careful. Be watchful. But be fruitful. Maybe tonight. Can I ask you tonight? Are you living that others might come to know you? I was reading a, a message the other day by J. Stewart Holden. And I ran across this statement. He said, are others convinced or ever likely to be convinced of the pressing urgency of salvation by our urgency in proclaiming it? Oh, you ought to say tonight, oh, I want to come. Lord, let me.
lay some soul upon my heart. Win that soul through me. There's somebody in Pontotoc County that needs you. They need you to care. They need you to go. They need you to love them. They need you to pray for them. Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. Won't you come tonight and say, Lord, I want my life to be useful. In light of your return, I want to be fruitful. I want to do all that I can, whether it be in going, giving, praying, whatever. I want to do all I can that the nations hear the glorious story of the redemptive work of Christ upon cross. You come tonight if God spoke to your heart. Your brother Greg is going to lead us. Your pastor will come.